Well, good morning, Cornerstone. It's great to see everybody here this morning. Um, I come up here with a little bit of intrepidation just because men are things different. There's a moat behind me. There's a cage over there. I'm told there's a dragon and maybe even a trap door. It's VBS week. Aren't you glad for all of the talented uh, interns that are just uh, so busy during the week getting ready for all of our kids? I know that you'll be praying for them. Yes. Yeah. It's great to see our pastor back again after a few weeks away doing weddings and speaking a whole lot. Uh, wonderful to have him back. And uh, for you in cold water, it's uh, nice, I'm guessing, for you to have Pastor Matt and Aaron back again, too, uh, after their two-week visit to Ireland. And for all of you who are tuning in online, it's good to have you here as well. Today, we return to our journey through the book of Acts, through the book of Acts, where we left off some weeks ago. So find your Bibles and open them to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14, you'll find it on page 923 in the church Bible at your knees there if you didn't bring yours with you, page 923. Now in the opening paragraph of the previous chapter, chapter 13, we watched Paul and Barnabas launch into their first missionary journey. Here, in the closing paragraph of chapter 14, we watched them land. They launched, here they land. At their launch, we watched the, the, how they were set apart and sent off, sent off by their home church in Antioch of Assyria, and you'll see that, I hope, on the map behind me. Do you see that on the lower right? That was their home base from which they launched, and we watched them walk to the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, sail to the island of Cyprus, and preach the good news of Jesus on foot all the way across the island from east to west. And then they sailed northward to Perga. And there in the region of Pamphylia, which is part of the current country of Turkey, they preached their way up into the mountains, rugged country, moving from city to city in a clockwise fashion. Many of, in those urban centers welcomed the message of Jesus, but many also rejected it, were opposed to it violently. So when the missionaries came to the crest of their route there at Derby, if you see on the map, they did a remarkable thing. You would think that they would take the short way home across the land, but instead of doing that, they turn around and retrace their steps back through the same cities that they had come from, which took remarkable courage, if you'll recall, because Paul had been pelted with rocks and left for dead in one of them. Remember that? In Lystra? Nevertheless, they worked their way back, consolidating the work that God had done through them. What did that look like? Well, chapter 14, verse 22, describes the, cons the, the consolidation phase of their work. Look at that, verse 22. They, strengthening, they were strengthening the souls of those who had said to, ye, to Jesus, 
They were encouraging them to continue in their faith. They warned them to expect many tribulations as they followed King Jesus. And verse 23, they appointed elders to lead in every new church and they committed them to the Lord. Committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Bible commentators estimate that this missions trip, this gospel preaching, church planting, church consolidation project took many months, probably somewhere beyond one year, somewhere between one year and two years to do it. Paul and Barnabas traveled about 800 kilometers on foot. They sailed about 1,100 kilometers by sea. Do you think they're depleted? I think so. Are their fuel gauges pegging on empty? It's plausible that Paul is even experiencing some residual trauma from the pelting he took at Lystra. In our brief passage today, we're going to see a summary of the last leg of their trip. It's going to rush by fast. And then this passage will show how they touched down where they had uh, taken off. Upon arrival, Paul and Barnabas do what on the surface might seem a little bit mundane. What's that? Well, listen. Beginning in verse 22, 24, hear now the word of the Lord. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. They're headed south, retracing their steps. And when they had spoken the word in Perga... They went down to Italia on the coast, and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them, and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained no little time. With the disciples. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Paul and Barnabas hardly give themselves enough time to unpack when they gather the church together to give a report. Why? Why is it good for a church to hear missions reports? Well, isn't that what's always done? We just always do it. Don't we always pray for missionaries or teams as they head out, like we did for the Kingsview team that went to the Dominican Republic, or like we did for Dr. Craig and Dr. Ben when they left for South Africa? And don't we always do that when they come home, they sit at the round table and just and give a report? Isn't that what we always do? Yes. But why? A church does need to hear from its missionaries. It's good for missionaries to inform and inspire those people who stand with them in their work. But might there be a greater good? Might there be a higher purpose for such a report than just to educate or just to motivate? I find it curious that Paul, the apostle, who carried particular authority over God's church, especially God's church there in Antioch, I find it curious that, that he would consider it important enough to report to them. Kind of like giving an accounting to the church that he was 
an apostle over. There must be something inherently valuable and necessary in giving such a report. What might that be? Well, the passage this morning that we see, this small paragraph, will help us see that a missions report like the one we will see given by, by Paul and Barnabas to their home church is meant to do three things. First, it's meant to remind us of God's grand plan. It's meant to remind us of God's grand plan. You know, we Christians tend to forget, don't we? We as churches tend to forget, and we need help remembering how we fit into God's eternal scheme of things. Do you remember how this trip got launched? Look back at chapter 13, verse 2. Back there, chapter 13, verse 2, we saw, while they were worshiping, the church at Antioch, in, in Antioch were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. In the middle of a worship service like we're having right now, made more earnest by fasting, God's Spirit handpicks two of their best leaders for himself. Do you see that? For me. For me. For a work project that God is defining. defining. Did you see that? For the work to which I have called them. And so the church obeys. And verse 3, after fasting and praying, they, they who, the church, laid their hands on them and sent them off. And sent them off. Notice, there are two players in this launch process. And both of those players are intimately connected Who chooses the workers and defines the work? God does through his church. Who does the sending to do God's work? Well, God does through his church. I will build my church seems to be the way, the main way that God is operating in his grand plan. Now, we can get a fuller sweep of God's grand plan if we scale up to the heights of passages like Psalm 2. There in Psalm 2, the psalm opens with the question, why? Why? Why would a rebellious humanity dare to amass itself and conspire against God, against the Lord and his holy one, his anointed one? Human rebellion is futile against God, isn't it? Human treachery is laughable because God has appointed and installed his hand-picked king, his hand-picked king on Zion, God's holy hill. And God does this by an eternal decree recorded in Psalm 2. You are my son. Today I have become your father. God's grand plan has always been to penetrate and to win back his rebellious world by putting his king, by putting his son in place. That hand-picked, God-appointed king, noted in Psalm 2, identified in Hebrews 1 as Jesus, is the son to whom God decreed, ask of me, ask of me, 
And I will make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. God the Father's eternal plan has always been to retake his rebellious world by entrusting his son, by appointing his son to redeem the nations and to rule the ends of the earth as his possession. And God began to unfurl that grand plan through a series of sendings. Through a series of sendings. As recorded in Galatians 4, for example, when the fullness of time had come, God sent. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. The first thing God does in in deploying his grand plan is to send his son. And the son God sent began to preach. Matthew chapter 4, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He began to preach, Matthew chapter 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Jesus demonstrated for three years by his words and by his deeds that he is God's righteous king, the one appointed from all eternity whose death and resurrection would deliver us from the domain of darkness and transfer us into the kingdom of The son God loves as planned from all eternity, as decreed from way eternity past. God sent his son, who then handpicks his followers and says to us, as the father has sent me, so... I am sending you. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. By what warrant is such a thing done? Have you ever asked yourself that? Who do missionaries think they are uh, going to far-flung places on the planet and disrupting nations with the claim that the Bible is true and that Jesus is their greatest need? What gives them that right? Who do we think we are to send missionaries like that? Well, it's by God's grand plan. It's by this eternal decree from eternity past that says, ask of me, God talking to his son, ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth, your possession. So you've seen already that God's grand plan is propelled by sendings, by a series of sendings. The father sent his son to redeem and to rule. The Father and the Son sent the Spirit to empower his followers who are sent and sent and sent to the nations. So it's no surprise that in Romans chapter 10, we would see Paul write, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, everyone, anywhere on the planet who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved How then will they call on him in in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in, in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? 
And how are they to preach unless they are, you say it, sent? Sent. The triune God is a sending God. And he won't roll out his grand plan any other way except by senders sending. So it shouldn't surprise us that Paul and Barnabas, who were sent by God through God's church in Antioch, would take the time to gather those around them who had sent them off and would give them a report, a kind of accounting, and that demonstrated through the process of the report, this is God's eternal plan. You are a significant part of it, church. You are his tool of choice. You are key in God's eternal decree, in his grand plan. So when Kingsview, when the Kingsview team came back from the Dominican Republic and sat there and did much like what we've experienced this morning, and when the doctors, Dr. Craig, Dr. Ben sent us video clips from South Africa and then sat here again to give us way more of a report, which will then they'll expand on this fall. Um, it wasn't just to inform, was it? It wasn't just to inspire, was it? No, it's to remind us that there is no loftier purpose in the universe and that you, church, are a vital part of it. You are a vital part of God's grand plan. So a missions report is meant to do that. It's also meant, secondly, to refresh our faith with God's mighty acts, to refresh our faith with God's mighty acts. Our faith gets fuzzy, doesn't it? It can fade. Let's, let's admit that. We need help rehearsing what God has done to boost our yes responses to God and to what God is doing. And so the day that Paul and Barnabas arrived in Antioch, I can imagine, they had hiked the last long 24 kilometers up from the coast. That would be like walking from here to cold water, only uphill the whole way. Imagine the chatter that burst through the church grapevine when they, when they hit town, right? Matilda, Matilda, that's, that's the kind of phone they had back then. There. <laughs> Matilda, did you hear? The boys are back. Ooh, nothing but bean poles, I tell you. We need to get a potluck rolling. Put some beef on those bones. Did you hear about Paul, though? Oh, my, they gave it to him. It's a wonder he's still walking. It's the authorized version. <laughs> the suffering that Paul and Barnabas endured on the trip, especially Paul outside of Lystra, really did draw an admiring crowd. Paul wrote to the Philippians that it's right to hold workers in high regard who risk their lives, who come close to death for the cause of Christ. It's good. It's proper. And yet, though Paul bore the marks of Christ on his body, the way he would write to the Galatians, though he bore bruises 
for Jesus, their report didn't focus on that. Look at verse 27. They gathered and they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. So a far greater import than any personal cost that they might have paid, Paul and Barnabas thought it vital to report all, all that God had done. Look at what the Lord has done. Look at what only God could do. There was so much to tell, so much to rehearse, that the church had to keep coming back for more. I think they had several installments to this report. They they, they probably came back for many more meetings because the word there declared in the Greek is continuous. They kept on declaring what God had done in Cyprus, in Antioch of Pisidia, in Lystra, and then all the way back again. Can you imagine Paul talking? Imagine. Yes, Lystra did seem like a write-off at first, But they slammed that door so hard. And yet when we returned, there was this young man there. God has already been at work in Lystra through his mom, through his grandma, Eunice and Lois, faithful women, Bible-loving women. Young Timothy has, has become my son in the faith. Look at all. God has done. Pray for that promising intern. Would you? You just hear him. But a far greater marvel for the church at Antioch to hear was story after story, uh, account after account about how God had opened for the Gentiles a door into the kingdom of righteousness. God had opened the door. God had. Non-Jewish people didn't have to enter in through keeping the Jewish ceremonial law or adhering to Jewish customs, no, but through the simple faith in Jesus, through the door of faith in Jesus by trusting, by believing, by surrendering to the king of righteousness who died and rose again for Jews and Gentiles. Look at all God has done. God is doing what he's always promised he would do through his son. Ask of me, and I will give, I will make the nations your inheritance, the the ends of the earth your possession. Child of God, when was the last time that you let yourself marvel that God would take the good news that started way over there in the Middle East that so many people have suffered for, the good news of Jesus. When was the last time that you let yourself marvel that that message of Jesus has reverberated all the way to as far as this end of the earth to open the the door of faith for you? It's marvelous. Look at all. God has done. It's vital to our faith that we rehearse what God has done to hear missionary stories of how God is at work in the DR or in South Africa, the four that came to faith at the orphanage through the Orphan Project, the building that has been built and the first worship service was there went last Sunday. That's marvelous. Look, look at what God has done because that, that refreshes our faith. 
and restokes our yes reflexes to God for larger worship, for greater obedience. Psalm 78, it's a lengthy psalm. It's a warning. It begins by voicing a commitment. We will open our mouths until the next generation and tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord. We're going to pass the mighty acts of God along as a report to our kids. That's what we all need to be doing. But the psalm quickly deteriorates and it deteriorates into a long and disappointing dirge that laments Look at all God did. Look at everything God did. It's this lengthy, repetitive rehearsal of all God did for God's people, and yet they forgot. They forgot. When what God does goes dim for us, it isn't just a, oops, I forgot. It isn't just, oh, I was thoughtless, it slipped my mind. It's faithlessness. That's the warning of Psalm 78. It's faithlessness. It's an off-ramp. Turning away from God. It's the seedbed of rebellion. Forgetting the mighty acts of God. Oh God, give us eager ears to receive and to remember and to rehearse the reports of your mighty acts. Kathy and I spent the better part of the 1990s as missionaries in Africa, in the country of Chad. We lived for a time in the capital city of N'Djamena, and from there we helped serve a whole army of missionaries that were scattered across the country in remote places. We were helping support their work that God had put them to there. There was relative calm in the country of Chad, in contrast to the, con- uh, the constant upheaval next door, the, the two countries next door, Sudan and Nigeria, um, but to the north, right on Chad's border, was Libya and its unpredictable dictator, Muammar Gaddafi. Remember him? Gaddafi's dream was to pull the whole continent of Africa into his grip. That's what he was over. So he flashed his oil money and he footed the bill to bring every Muslim head of state on the continent to Chad, close to him, for a massive Muslim prayer meeting. Politics under the guise of religion. Imagine that. This prayer meeting was to be so big that no indoor venue in the whole country could contain it. Well, from one day to the next, every vestige of Chadian control in the capital city vaporized. It was as if the Chadian president himself had handed the keys over to Gaddafi. Every street corner bristled with Libyan commandos. Helicopter gunships thundered overhead, covering Gaddafi's motorcade and flexing their muscle as all the heads of state arrived. You can imagine, it was a fearful time for the church and for missionaries. What's coming? We don't know. It's unpredictable. He's ruthless. 
the U.S. Embassy counseled expats to hunker down and just let it blow over. But would it? I can remember during our devotional times with our boys, often singing Psalm 56, Steve Green's tune. Remember that? Hide him in your heart. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. I will trust in you. I will trust in you. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, whose word I praise. In God, I trust. I will not be afraid. What can mortal man do to me? Well, it was the month of April, the peak of dry season. You can't expect to rain for another month, at least in that part of the world. But our national church leaders, courageous men, men of faith, put out the call to all the churches in the country, pray. Pray to the true and living God. Pray to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Pray to the Lord of the nations that he will make it rain on Gaddafi's parade. Pray that in dry season, his outdoor event will be rained out. Well, the day came. And the hour came, and it wasn't gunships that thundered overhead. It was rain. It was rain. It poured in dry season. I can can still see our boys out there. One was eight, one was three, drenched, dancing. God had answered their prayers. God had answered their prayers. And the smell of the wet earth was a pungent reminder. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance. The ends of the earth your possession. When we hear a missionary report or a preacher report or a VBS leader report and rehearse what God has done, it reminds us that we're a part of his grand plan. And it refreshes our faith for higher worship and deeper dependence and a greater obedience ourselves. Thirdly, a missions report is meant to strengthen our missional relationships. It's easy to get off track, isn't it? For companies, for Christians, for churches, mission drift is a thing. And so we need help. We need friendships that help us lean in on our God-given mission together to get back on track and to focus on what's important. And so I love the way verse 28 closes the paragraph. And they, Paul and Barnabas, remained no little time with the disciples. It's a verse that you would just gloss over. I have. Paul and Barnabas are done with their report. Their talks are finished, but their influence isn't. They remained. They lingered. Ongoing relationship is as important as the report. Do you see that? They stuck around. They hung out. The word remain there paints a picture of rubbing, of purposeful influence on other people. There's no question that these two men had spent themselves on this two-year trip of theirs. They were empty. They needed some refreshing fellowship. They needed a good hammock and a cold Coke. But the no little time they spent hanging out was on purpose. The hours, the days, 
the weeks were spent with the disciples on commission, on track. Even as they recharged their batteries, they remained on mission, making, shaping, influencing, multiplying disciples. One of the biggest influences that made my wife Kathy long to spend her life for Jesus, whatever way Jesus wanted to, in missions, in church, whatever, one of the biggest influences on her childhood was that after a guest preacher or a guest missionary spoke in their church, her mom and dad had a habit of inviting them home to linger over lunch, to laugh, to learn, to learn jokes that tickled them, to pray for them. It was these friendships forged over food that probably accomplished a whole lot more than any report that Kathy heard in her childhood to cause her to long to live for Jesus, to spend her life for Jesus. It makes me so thankful for our leaders here, Pastor Rob and the missions committee leaders, and all of the efforts that they go to, not just to send our missions team out, all these teams out, but to bring our mission partners here. Like Pastor Shadrach. Won't it be good to have him here in person? Won't it be good not just to hear him report, but to meet him, to hear him, to... To, to hear what makes him laugh, to ask him questions. What's the cost that you've gone through to go up to Sidwana Bay? To feel his heart for Jesus, to feel his passion for all of that part of rural South Africa. Wouldn't it be good to have Pastor Shadrach and Dr. Craig and Renee over for coffee? After a service, over for lunch, and let their heart infect yours. I, I give you a challenge, church. At some month, you should invite Dr. Craig and Renee, Dr. Ben and Elizabeth over for lunch and do it so repeatedly that their food budget plummets. <laughs> because you want this influence. You want this heart. Wouldn't it be great if their heart infected ours? If their heart infected our kids' hearts for the far-flung nations on God's planet? Because yes, the ends of the earth are his, his possession. There's inherent value in missions reports and in lingering together after those reports because these reports, these relationships remind us of our part, our part in God's grand plan. They refresh our faith with God's mighty acts and they reinvigorate our relationships to stay on track on our God-given mission together. You are a key part of God's grand plan. Let's pray. And so, Lord, by your word, by your spirit, shape us. Lord, move our priorities so that they look more like yours. Lord, shape our passions so they look like what you 
have decreed in eternity past. We want nothing more, Lord, than to be aligned with what you are doing all over the world. And so we ask you to help us. We ask you to empower us. We ask you this in Jesus' name, our King's name, we pray. Amen.